Thank you, Pastor Jeff, and thank you, Pastor Rod. Jeff, I love these, uh, these ministry moments and uh, helping people see what it is that we do and where it is that uh, we expend energy and money and resources, and uh, we do it with sincerity. And I'm so grateful for the leaders that God has brought forth and believing God for more leadership, more people to invest in our youth, to invest in our kids, and if you have an inkling at all that God may want you to serve in those areas, please be in touch with Pastor Rod or Pastor Veronica. All right, I've got an interesting text to bring to you today. It's, it's a very, very interesting text. It's, 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 a, it's very direct. It's James being James. It's the book of James. We've been in the book of James. We're heading into the fifth chapter. We're going to look at the, the first six verses of the fifth chapter this morning. And James is really in the face of a particular demographic. Yeah, he's, he's really in the face of a particular demographic. And I'm going to talk to you about what makes up that demographic in his time, in biblical times. But how does it apply to you and I today? And uh, so he's got a word to share. And I love, what, I love what Proverbs says when it comes to this issue of wisdom, because wisdom is what is coming forth out of the book of James, week after week after week after week. And I've been hearing from you as to how much you are enjoying this wonderful book in the Bible. And uh, in Proverbs, which is sort of the twin to the book of James, Proverbs is the Old Testament book of James. James is the New Testament book of Proverbs. If I could use that term. So they just, they're interchangeable, and the wisdom is interchangeable, and you're going to see that as I preach today. But Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, it says this. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. I love the imagery of this. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets, in the markets. She raises her voice. So Solomon is saying, even in the marketplace, even in the place that you do business, wisdom cries out. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. The entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. So therein is Solomon, who is considered to be one of the wisest people to ever walk the face of the earth, and he, in his communion with God, is speaking prophetically as to the power of wisdom in our lives. And, and God is saying, look, I am screaming at you. I am communicating constantly with you. In every phase of your life, I'm there wanting to impart wisdom. How long will you not heed what I have to say? And so James picks up here. Here's where James he, he says this. Now, it's the first six verses of James 5, and I, I want you to hear this, and I don't want you to disqualify yourself from whom he's talking to, 
because he's talking to you, and I'll show you how. He says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver have corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like the fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Almighty God. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Here are the words of James for us today. So today we're going to look at being wise with your wealth. As we continue in our series through James, we'll be looking at chapter 5, the first six verses. Many people wrongly believe that the Bible teaches that it's wrong to be wealthy. I mean, if you were to just read that scripture without the context of the Bible as the whole, you would sort of beg off when it comes to being wealthy. They think that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil, but what it actually says is the love of money is the root of all evil. God is not opposed to wealth. In fact, many of the people in the Bible were extremely wealthy. Abraham was a multiple millionaire. Job was the wealthiest man in the world during his lifetime. David and Solomon were both the wealthiest men of their time. We know that Barnabas in the New Testament made a lot of money because he sponsored the activities of the churches. Joseph of Arimathea, the man who gave Jesus his tomb, was extremely wealthy. So God is not opposed to wealth, but God is very much opposed to the misuse and the abuse of wealth. He wants us to use our wealth wisely, no matter how much or how little we have. In New Testament times, there was no such thing as a middle class. The people in the entire New Testament times were either very rich or living below the poverty level. You were either a have or a have not. And the system caused the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer. The rich tended to manipulate and oppress the poor people, and they were continually being abused. And James lashes out at the ungodly use of money by the wealthy. He condemns them with specific abuses that they are guilty of. And although we may not commit these sins to the same degree, this passage is a healthy warning to you and I and to, for us to make sure that no matter how much we have, we use it in a way that honors God. So we're going to look at the wrong and the right uses of wealth. 
Everybody in this room is wealthy according to world standards. If you own a car, you're wealthy. If you have more than one change of clothes, you're wealthy. If you're owning a home, you're in the top 5% of the world. By world standards, by the very fact that we live in Canada, we are wealthy. I think this can apply to, to each and one of us who are here. I'm not, saying that this, I'm not saying this to load a bunch of guilt to each one of us here, but I think we need to be aware of, of just how much God has blessed us just simply being born or even immigrating into this great country. We need to be grateful for what we have and the potential that is before us. And we need to be warned as the godless approaches wealth, we need to be warned as God warns them through James. So James mentions four common abuses regarding wealth. Let's look at the, first we're gonna look at the abuses of wealth and then we're gonna look at how to use wealth in a way that honors God. So number one, the wrong use of wealth. The first key issue that James talks about is the accumulation of wealth. And he says, don't hoard it. In verse three, he says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Of the four errors, James points out that these people are guilty of, James says, you have hoarded wealth. And God says that money is not to be stockpiled, collected in piles just for the sake of having it. God wants your money put to good use. He wants your money in circulation. He's not talking about savings. In fact, savings is actually the tool and the enablement for you to circulate money in a meaningful way. Work hard, save so that you can give, share, and spend wisely. This is what we do. So God wants his money in circulation. And there's a legitimate place for savings so as to enable each and every one of us to live in accordance with high values. Once in a while, you'll read in the newspaper about an elderly person who died, and they're, they're obviously in poverty. And when the bed mattress is moved in their home, they find hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this isn't someone who saved their money to use it, but they hoarded it out of an insecurity. And God is saying, I don't want you to hoard out of insecurity. I don't want you to be afraid of losing money. Money, he doesn't want it to become an end in and of itself. Accumulating had become the goal of life for so many, and they were so afraid of losing money that they would continue to accumulate it so as to offset personal and deep insecurities. In the New Testament times, you can hoard wealth in three ways. Stockpiling food, collecting clothes, and gathering precious metals and jewels. This is the way the wealthy would show off their wealth in the New Testament times. And if you had money, you would, you would show it by having a lot of food, clothes, and precious metals and jewels. And James speaks about these three things in verses two through three in our text. He says, your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. 
and your gold and your silver are corroded. Everything you've gotten, the food has spoiled, the moths have eaten your clothes, and the gold and the silver is rusting and corroding. The point he's making here is whatever you simply, simply accumulate eventually deteriorates. He says your clothes get moth-eaten. Which, which clothes get moth-eaten? Not the ones you're wearing. The ones you're storing. Your food has gone rotten. Which food goes rotten? The food you eat every day? No, it's the stuff that you're stockpiling. Wealth is to be used, not hoarded, the text says. And in this series, we've looked at the successful farmer of Luke chapter 12, where he was very successful. He had a great crop harvest, and he said, I know what I'll do. I'll just build bigger barns. He didn't think anything about giving it away or circulating it for the common good. He didn't think about keeping it in circulation for God's purposes. It was a selfish use of wealth. I'm going to hoard it, the farmer said. And James says the wrong use of wealth, the number one, when it, number one when it comes to accumulation is to actually hoard it. So there's a second issue he talks about in verses two through three, and it's the issue of appropriation of wealth. So there's the accumulation of wealth, and then there is the appropriation of the wealth, which is how you gain it. God is not so concerned about what you have so much as he is how you've gained it. Don't steal it is basically what he's saying in the text. Don't use dishonest means to rip people off. And there are a lot of different ways to gain dishonest money. And one way is to simply not pay your debts. To just not pay your debts. In the city of Leamington in Essex County, a place where I grew up and worked, undocumented workers would stand in the street and every morning the employer would come by and they would work for a day and in the evening they would get dropped off. And then the only problem with this what was happening was that some of the people were not being paid correctly for their full day's work. And the boss would misuse their lack of documentation related to being in Canada and would not pay them and manipulate their already existing poverty state. And this is an abomination, of course, to God. This is very similar to what happened in the New Testament times. In the New Testament, you worked on a daily basis, you were hired at the beginning of the day, uh, you worked all day, and then at the end of the day, you were given your pay. And a person would go down to town and hire the workers, and there were no contracts, there were no unions, there were no laws to protect the workers. And if the boss wanted to rip you off, he could. There were no rights, per se. And James is speaking to a society that takes advantage of the disadvantaged. And he says, the wages you have failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. And James is saying that the accumulation of wealth, he's saying don't hoard it. And in the appropriation of wealth, he's saying don't steal it, don't be dishonest. Now the third issue that he deals with is the issue of the allocation of your money. So it's the accumulation, and then it's the, it's the appropriation, and then in this third point, it's the allocation of your money. 
It's how you spend it. And the way we spend our money is very, very important. And James blasts these guys as to how they spend their money. And in verse 5, he says, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. In the allocation of money, don't waste it. We are not here to waste wealth. And one of the greatest temptations, I think, that we have to avoid is to make more and more and we're tempted to spend it selfishly upon ourselves. And the more money you make, the easier it is to waste it. We tend to say things like, I'm worth it. I can afford it. I've worked hard for it. And just because I can afford something doesn't mean that I ought to buy it. James says, don't waste it. It's very easy to waste your money the money that you have. So where I'm going with you this morning is to suggest to you that the issue of your economy, your finances, what it is that you have by way of resources, God wishes and desires to speak wisdom into your life. And it's calling out from the streets, as we learned earlier today. And there is God saying to you through James and through Solomon, look, hear me. When it comes to your wealth, don't accumulate or misappropriate and find yourself in a position where your wealth becomes something that you can circulate with intention and with purpose. In verse five, it says, you have fattened yourself for the slaughter. That's such an interesting, I mean, I've seen cows slaughtered. I have. I've, I've actually been involved with, like on a farm, uh, had, yeah, just did the whole thing, you know? And uh, I won't go into details. It's very interesting. But my father-in-law would fatten a cow, and we would know, there would be like a whole herd, and there were certain ones that he would sequester off and he was giving them special grains. And they were enjoying special grains. They were enjoying the good food that he would leave these three or four or five cows, but they had no idea what was coming for them. It's slaughter time. And, and they were about to become food for a lot of families. My father-in-law was an incredibly generous person and he would take three or four or five of those cows and he would slaughter them and he would give the meat to families in need. And, uh, but those cows, this is what the imagery that James is using here. He says, you've fattened yourself for the slaughter. And, and what he's really saying here is, is, look, life is so temporary. And, and, and we learned like a couple of weeks ago that we're just like grass of the field that is here today and gone tomorrow. And there comes a point and there comes a time where we are no more. And all the intention that we had regarding finance, regarding wealth, regarding money, isn't going to matter anymore. And all that's really going to matter at that moment when we are no more is what did we do with the money when we had it and we had breath. What did we do with it? So the fourth key issue that James deals with is the application of wealth. 
It's the application of wealth. And he's talking about how you use it and the influence that wealth has. And he says, don't abuse it. Wealth gives you much more than simply buying ability. Richard Foster in his book, Money, Sex, and Power, great book, an excellent book, says that money has a lot more power than simply buying power. When you have money, it gives you influence and it gives you authority. And we're called upon by James and by Solomon and by God, ultimately, to use that influence, to use that power, and to be purposeful about the very things we do with our money. So we listen to people who make money more than people who are poor. And we just, we just have a habit of doing that. And why do they get away with the things that they get away with? And, and James is trying to address them. And he's trying to, to rein them in and say, hey, treat all men and women favorably without favoritism. In the scripture, it says, the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. And they recognize that money is influence. They use it to influence people, often for poor reasons. They use it to manipulate, and they, they use it for a number of reasons, but Christians ought to recognize that it has influence for good. It has influence for good. And we're called upon to save. We're called upon to work hard. We're called upon to save, and then we're called upon to have a broad perspective a worldly perspective, if I may, related to the use of whatever we save. I would say to my children, we do three things with money. We do three things. Once we've earned it, so there's a fourth thing. We earn it, we save it, we spend it, and we share it. Earn it, save it, spend it, share it. And it's in the earning that we have to have a really good work ethic. And it's having a good work ethic that we will actually be enabled to save. And in saving, we are now in a position to spend and or to share. And so this is, this is what I teach my kids. And, and I'm hoping that they're living those values out. And I myself am trying to do something similar. And, and, but God calls us to work hard, to save, to be enabled and empowered to either spend wisely or share wisely. But never are we called upon to hoard. Never. All savings should be savings with a purpose. All savings should be savings with intention to honor God. All savings. Not just for your own comfort. Not just for your own luxury not just to have the finest things of life, but rather savings are meant in the Christian context to be influential in the way in which the world sees God. So scripture says the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. And in verse six it says you have condemned and ruined innocent men, and they are powerless to stop you. Evidently in James' time, the rich were buying off judges and circumventing justice. If they wanted to take advantage of a guy, they'd, they'd take him to court, talk to the judge, slip him a couple of bills, and then they would get their own way. And James says, you have condemned and ruined innocent people, and they are powerless to stop you. 
So we are asked, where are people powerless? And how can we help them? And how can we use our money for good rather than evil? So the consequences of misused wealth in verses two and three, or hoarded wealth, is going to be decay and devalue. Dishonest, wasted, and abused wealth will be judged in eternity. James has some really strong words on the abuse of wealth. And in the remaining time, I want to look at what the Bible says are the right uses of wealth, things that we ought to do. So in the accumulation of funds, what ought we to do? And in Proverbs 21.20, it says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. So the savings component that I've talked about that you're earning towards, the foolish person has no ability to spend wisely or no ability to share wisely because they are like sieves. The money flows through them and it's gone and it does not make an eternal or a legacy dent. It's just gone. We need to use our money more faithfully. I read the average American and Canadian only saves about 4.5% of their income. The average European, 16%, by the way. The average Japanese person saves 25% of their income. Why do we save so little here? And I think it's because we live for today or we're subject to sort of our yearnings. We're the now generation. People who live in the old world have a perspective that spans thousands of years. Here in North America, everything is new. Everything is new. And it like pops up spontaneously. This building is new. And it popped up spontaneously on March 3rd last year. It just popped up. Of course not. Somebody back in 1982 donated $300,000 to what was then Markham Pentecostal Church, and they bought seven acres of land added to the three that were already here. Somebody had foresight and a concern for the kingdom of God in Markham, gave $300,000. That $300,000 kept that land in place for all these years, and there were a number of conniptions, if I might say, related to the real estate where we used to own so much property that way. Now we, we owned all this property on the front and actually gained a corner. God gave us favor and we waited and we waited and we waited and we waited. And then when the moment was right, we sold four of the 10 acres and netted out $15 million. And that paid for the building that seems to be instantaneously appearing for us. And it took us eight years of hard work. Hard work and the raising of 1.2, 1.3 million dollars from amongst us to get to the place where we have this tool in the middle of Markham called a building and it's being used throughout the week in amazing and, and life-changing ways. But we, we save, we put ourselves in the position, we, 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 we wait, we, we see God do his thing at the right moment, in the right time. And it, it all happens because people wisely earn and then they wisely save and then they wisely wait to share in a fashion and in a way that the kingdom is built up. 
So we accumulate for these purposes. A Christian saves for stewardship reasons. What is stewardship? It's the management of funds on behalf of God. So whatever I have, I have to manage it on behalf of God. And that's all aspects of money. So every time, every time there is some formulation in my mind related to an expenditure, have I brought it before the Lord and have I asked him for wisdom related to what it is that is formulating in my mind? Whether it's the purchase of a new car, a new house, whether it's the vacation that I'm about to take or if it's, if it's something to do with my kids, could be the inheritance, it could be this, it could be that. God would say, I want to have some say and share some wisdom in your life related to the formulations that you have in your mind regarding money. In order to be a good steward, we need to learn to live within our margin and not, well, my, my father-in-law had this, he had this funny saying, he was an old German guy and lived in poverty in Germany and, and, and you know, stories of potato soup every night and moves to Canada as an immigrant and, and has nothing and then works for something and then saves his money, becomes a Christian, realizes his money is to be used for God and his purposes. And he was the most generous guy. And he depended on God for all aspects related to the accumulation of money. And he was a good steward of it. He was a good steward of it. He was not an impulse buyer. Thoughtful, very thoughtful. And he learned to live in his margin. His saying was this. He would say, Brian, don't outlive the blanket. And I would look at him and I, what in the world does that mean? He says, the blanket only covers so much. That's what you spend. Didn't make a lot of sense to me as it probably doesn't to you right now. But he would have that statement, like, like, only use as much as the blanket covers. Don't ever overspend. He, he, he spoke into my life related to credit cards. He spoke into my life related to purchases. He said, it's better to save over the long haul and pay cash than to borrow and live with something paying interest. And so he would say, Brian, a credit card is simply a convenience card, and if you can't manage it for convenience purposes, and you end up at the end of the month having to make interest payments because you couldn't cover the debt, then don't do it. Cut those cards up. Credit cards are what, 23% or something like that right now? It's ridiculous. And if you can't cover the debt, then then you need to do whatever you can do. And we have these wonderful ministries here where we teach people how to manage their finances and how to actually get into a situation where they are no longer in the negative. And by the negative, I'm talking about drains and draws from their finances based on decisions they made five years ago, 10 years ago. This is the thing with debt. It will affect you not only in the moment and the payment that you'll make at the end of the month, but five years later as well. And you will have paid probably three or four times what you would have paid if you'd have paid cash for the very thing that you paid on credit. 
So we teach that here at the bridge through our money management course, and we, we want you to understand that, that your money, God wants to speak wisdom into your life related to that. So in order to be a good steward, we need to live within our margins, but number two, we need to live with contentment. We need to live with contentment. And I have to be honest with you, this is a challenge for me. This is a challenge for me, because when all my buddies are buying new drivers and new three woods and, and new this and new that, and I, you know, I, 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 I have a, there's very few places I covet, but when it comes to golf equipment, I'm thinking, man, I, I could use a, I've been playing with these for like 10 years now. I could, I could, I could change that up. But God wants my heart before him on the matter related to all expenditures. It's hard, but God wants that from us. So the right accumulation according to scripture, what about the right appropriation? Hard work. That's all I'm going to say about the right appropriation of money. Hard work. Hard work. And then we trust God related to what is going to be our lot. We work hard, and then we trust God for the issue of advancement, for the issue of raises, for the issue of good investment advice. We trust God for this stuff, but we, at the very, very bottom of it all, it's, it's trusting God and working hard. There's nothing that beats working hard. No quick buck. Work hard for the bucks you make and be wise in what you do with them. We just have to be careful that our yearning capacity does not exceed our earning capacity. And there's nothing more good for you than a budget. We have a budget here at the bridge. We function by it. We do not, we do not deter from it. I'm not saying that, you know, if we decide not to spend something here, that it doesn't get spent over there. But we have this bottom line here at the bridge, and we operate in the black. We don't operate in the red. We don't, we don't do crazy stuff like, like do something crazy and say, well, you know, then we, we sort of, when we do crazy stuff as pastors, what we do is we actually are trying to leverage the giving of the people in the congregation without their permission. And, and that's crazy. So what we do here at the bridge is we bring before you our budgets every year and we let you see and we let you know. And it's all, it's all good and it's all purposeful and it's all ministry-centered and we, we bring it before you and we stay within it so that the next year when we come back to you and give you an accountability, you'll hear from us that that we did not exceed and or expand beyond what we had agreed to. And you can do that in your home, with your spouse, with your kids. You can create a budget where everyone lives by it. Nobody extends beyond it because you have an agreement and you can logically actually root your children's thinking to the budget when they're asking for things that you can't afford or that aren't in the budget. And just like... I can say to myself and or a staff member, hey, we didn't plan for that this year. It's not going to happen this year. You in your home can say the exact same thing because your kids know that you live by a budget. The budget rules. Not to say that you can't make adjustments, but the budget rules. And your kids need to know that. 
And if they're not growing up, understanding that or knowing that, oh my goodness. They just think that money flows. And it doesn't. There are limits. And the kids need to learn that there are limits. And budgets are perfect for teaching kids that there are limits. There isn't much of what I've shared in the last 15 minutes is from these notes. I just feel so strongly on these matters, and I'm certainly taking my points accordingly, but, but this is so basic and so important, and so much of the, the angst that we feel as parents related to money is our inability to source our children's thoughts in a budgeting process. It's so good for them to know that there are limits and there are boundaries related to finance within our home. And it's good for them to hear you even say, oh, I would love to have this, but no, can't afford it. Can't afford it. Here's what I believe. I believe God's word teaches us that he wants us to be financially free. If your finances are a mess right now, God promises over and over again to care for us who will place our financial burden in his care and follow his principles. These principles are all throughout scripture, by the way. And when you think about it, unmanageable finances are really a symptom of a deeper problem, an unmanageable life. That is trying to live without God's guidance. If we try to live without the principles of the book, the Bible, we're going to get into trouble. We need to see God in the streets yelling out wisdom for us as we are in the marketplace. We need to hear him and we need to live out his principles. But the starting point for financial freedom is to make Jesus the manager of your life. This issue of expenditures and yearnings and, and the issue of contentment and living in margin. Jesus is the one who brings a complete balance to our lives so we can make wise decisions. Money is just something that gives evidence as to the condition of our souls. The starting point for all financial freedom is to make Christ the manager of our lives. You start to live abundantly by letting him come into your heart, by making him the manager of your life, not just your heart and the position of where you'll go when you die, but even your money, your welfare, your, your wealth, all things related to life and living, Jesus will give you wisdom as you invite him into your heart. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. We hear you in the streets. We hear you yelling out. We hear the wisdom that comes to us through Solomon. We hear the wisdom that comes to us through James. This is a heart issue. This is a soul issue. This is a, an existential issue. Why am I here? To what end? For what purpose? We're so wealthy. There's so many resources that are going to flow into your life. If you're here and you're young, 
I just want to exhort you, if you're here and you're young, it's all a relative term, young, work hard. Be, be one of the hardest workers. Make yourself indispensable at your workplace. I, this is what I believe in. Make yourself indispensable. may not always work out that way, but make yourself the one that they can't afford to get rid of because of your work ethic, because of your honesty, because of your relationship ability. Work hard. And in working hard, let God bless you over time. Let it be him who adds to your coffers. Let it be him who, who, who facilitates the raises that you're gonna get. Let it be him who helps you find a good financial investor. Let it be him who teaches you how to use your money. Let it be him who, who actually just blesses your life over and over again so you can then put that money back into circulation towards the good of the society we live in. Work hard, be a saver. Be a saver, be one who saves, and then with wisdom spend, and with wisdom share. Oh, Father, practical stuff, but so important. It affects our everyday lives. It affects what we're preoccupied with. It affects what brings us low and what brings us high. Let us not be overwhelmed or undone by money. Let us be wise and let us be free and let us change the world with what you allow to enter into our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.